fellow nerds, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Health Nerd Podcast, where we bring you fascinating conversations with the movers, shakers, and innovators in food, health, agriculture, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Teresa Sam Houghton, Chief Nerd at the Modern Health Nerd. This week, I am bringing you a super nerdy episode with Eugene Wang of Sophie's Bionutrients. At Sophie's Bionutrients, Eugene and his team are fermenting and extracting unique microalgae proteins that can be used for a variety of plant-based products, and possibly someday some other futuristic and equally nerdy applications. It's a highly sustainable process that can be set up anywhere, and Eugene digs into a lot of the details in our conversation. He can tell it a lot better than I can, so I'm just gonna let him go to it. Before we get into that, just a little bit of housekeeping and announcements. First, as always, thank you for your support of this podcast. If you have not yet, please subscribe and give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, and share it with your friends who enjoy super nerdy, plant-based, food tech, and other food-related conversations. Second thing, I am going to take a break for a few weeks to line up some interviews with people that I've really wanted to have on this podcast, and it's just gonna take me a bit to get everything secured so that I can bring you these episodes. I'm lining up two more episodes, Lord willing, and after that, I'm going to wrap up what I'm going to call season one of the Modern Health Nerd podcast. By the time those two episodes come out, we'll have had 45 episodes, and I feel blessed to have had a run like that. But recently, I've been thinking about what I want to do with this podcast, what I want to do with my content, what I talk about, what I write. Now, the Modern Health Nerd is not going anywhere, but I need to figure out what direction to take things in before I continue with the podcast. So after episode 45, we're going to put a cap on season one and see where things go. If and when season two appears, you'll be the first to know if you go to modernhealthnerd.com news and drop your email in the sidebar box to get updates right in your inbox. And you don't want to miss those two interviews I've got coming up. So if you subscribe, you can get the show notes and announcement right in your inbox when those episodes drop. With that out of the way, thanks again for being a supporter of this podcast. And now my conversation with Eugene Wang of Sophie's Bionutrients. Well, Eugene, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I'm super excited to have you here. I have not had anyone on the podcast who is working with algae yet, so I am really looking forward to digging into this with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very honored to be your first algae talk guest <laughs> on this related topic. Really excited to tell you how flexible, how much more potential with this uh, microorganism down the road. So could you give us a little background on yourself and on what got you interested in doing everything you're doing with algae and how that's working through your company, Sophie's Bionutrients? I actually, uh, I'm very different than a lot of other people who just uh, joining this uh, plant-based uh, uh, race uh, recently. You know, I uh, was born and grew up in Taiwan. My family were fourth generation Buddhism and been making the vegetarian food for about three generations, right? So you can uh, pretty much say I was born and grew up in the plant-based world. And 
I actually graduated from uh, Columbia University with an MBA degree. I was thinking of becoming an investment banker instead of uh, joining the family business. And then just less than a year, I found myself really interested in my family and what my father is doing. So I came back. And so quite literally, you can say, say that, you know, I spent my whole career doing uh, plant-based foods. I spent uh, my five years uh, of uh, time in the factory, in the family business, um, doing a lot of uh, manufacturing work. I can tell you down to the ingredient level, what you need to make the plant-based burger, uh, the plant-based chicken nuggets, and even the sausages. So that's me. And the reason how I got into um, this microalgae project is actually because my daughter, Sophie. So that's the name, Sophie's Bionutrient. Uh, it was that, you know, when I found out uh, her, her allergic reaction to the shellfish, especially shrimp, I started another company back in 2010 in California called Sophie's Kitchen. And during the last 10 years of uh, managing that business, I kept getting a question from my consumers. They think seafood is healthy, so they all wanted to know, can our plant-based seafood products have equivalent nutritional value like the real seafood? Well, short answer is no, because we're using potato starch, pea protein. How can it be, you know? But that got me thinking. It turns out, if you want to convince people not to eat seafood, you got to get them something better, something even healthier. And so I thought, well, all these fishes and shrimp, they got their nutrients by eating planktons, microalgae especially. So why can we not using microalgae to make the foods we're making? That's how I got, it in, got into this research. That's how I dig into this topic. And then the more I research, the more I know, the more I found out the great potential by using microalgae and especially using fermentation technology that potentially can benefit the world and potentially we can make the super most sustainable way to make our foods and nutrients going forward into the future. And so long story short or short story long, <laughs> I don't know how to put it, but that's basically some basically sums up how I got into this. And could you talk a little bit about the sustainability of algae and also dig in a little bit into the fermentation process because both of those things are really it's really fascinating to me, and I know that sustainability is on a lot of people's minds now that we're looking at the way our food system is versus the way it needs to be. So let me first talk about fermentation, and then that I'll move on to why this fermentation thing is really highly associated with sustainability. So fermentation... Um, is exactly what you think. You A lot of people, when, when talking about fermentation, first thing they thought of is beer, the beer brewery. It is very similar to that process, yes. But the, the finished products we're eating is quite different. So in the beer brewery, you drink the finished products or the finished waste produced by the yeast, by the bacteria, by the microorganism. In our fermentation, we eat the microorganism itself. So that's the key difference. Other than that, there is another difference in between our fermentation and the conventional sunshine pond operation to grow microalgae is the fact that we don't need any sunlight, as you can imagine, in the fermentation tank. And why we want to do that is because that by doing so, 
we dramatically reduce the space we need to grow the same amount of microalgae cells. Number one, think about it, you know, because using the sunshine pond, you can imagine you need a lot of space while doing the fermentation tank. I can just condense it into a vertical tank. That's that's difference number one. Difference number two is that using the fermentation tank, not only I don't need sunlight, I can have more than 10 times, even 100 times of density of microalgae population in the tank than the conventional sunshine pond. So what happened in the sunshine pond is that they have to allow the sunlight penetrate the water evenly to hit every microalgae cell. So that's why the density cannot be too low, meaning the production yield will also be very low. While using fermentation tank, I can dramatically increase that efficiency and then by doing so, lower my cost as well. And last but not least is that by doing everything in the tank, I can put it indoor, then I can put it inside the building. I don't care about the weather outside. I can even keep the contamination in bay in, in, in tightly controlled manner so that I don't have to care so much about contamination. And so all these are the benefits of fermentation. It will reduce costs, it will create better products. And previously why no one had thought of doing it is because that the microalgae was strictly reserved for number one, biofuel, and number two, the nutraceutical industry. All these are needed uh, to do with the pho photosynthesis operation. And so that's why they need the sunshine pond operation. And so that's why we sort of the first one trying to use this fermentation, fermentation technology on this uh, uh, food ingredient production. Now, why this fermentation is really the sustainable technology going forward is that, think about it, you know, right now we're growing all our foods using the industrial agriculture, animal farming, or even aquaculture. All these things take a lot of space. You cannot conduct these operations without huge space. And that's really the conundrum here is that we all know that by the year 2050, we're going to have close to 10 billion people on this planet. That's almost 30% more of the current population. And on top of that, you have to prepare possibly two times or even three times more of the foods we're making today in order to get those 30% of extra people on this planet and the current people on this planet to live comfortably. So think about it. How can you manage to house that many people, that many animals, and also that much of a land requirement to produce all our foods? It's not going to be possible. Even if it's possible, it will be very, very polluted. That's why bioprocessing, growing all the foods and nutrients in the tank, in the bioreactor, is really the way forward, the most sustainable way out, the only solution to go forward, in my opinion, to solve our food production issue. Bioprocessing, by the way, is something that preserved previously only for pharmaceutical industry or the nutraceutical industry. As we saw ever more clearly during this pandemic, a lot of the bio, uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies using these bioreactors to develop more kind of uh, uh, drugs or, or pharmaceutical uh, medications. Uh, to treat the, these uh, diseases. But going forward, we think we can leverage the same technology 
just downgrade it a little bit. We don't need all the certifications. We don't, we don't need all these uh, extra costs on certifying, making sure these uh, uh, tanks are, are pharmaceutical grade. We just need it to be food grade. And then straight away, open it up for the food production. And then by doing so, we can really reduce the space footprint, the carbon footprint even of our food production system. So if you look at micro-fermentation companies like us, if you look at the cell-based uh, meat and seafood companies, the cellular culture industry today, we are all talking about the same thing. Going forward, let's leverage this bioprocessing technology and make this world a better place. So that's why we think this is so sustainable in the future. You mentioned that you can get a really significant density by using a fermentation tank. What kind of density do you get and how quickly does it grow? Because I know that goes right along with the sustainability factor. How fast it grows really depends on what kind of microorganism you use. Bacteria double in size every 20 minutes. Microalgae is somewhat slower. Uh, they double in size in about, uh, they vary widely, but in our case, our microalgae can double in size in about eight to 12 hours. Some of the species will take days to double in size. Yeast will take, if I remember correctly, six to eight hours to double in size. But that's just a, a short answer to the speed. If I do a batch fermentation, say for example, to grow a ton of protein from our microalgae, you know, grow a ton of protein from beef, you possibly need about one and a half year. Grow a ton of protein from soy, you need about two to six months. Growing a ton of protein from our microalgae in a batch fermentation style, I only need about three days. And that's how short the cycle is. Now, talking about the density. So, using the fermentation tank, inside the tank, I can harvest from a liter of the liquid in the tank, I can harvest about uh, at least uh, 50 to 70 grams of biomass per liter of the liquid. However, if I do the sunshine pond operation, I can only harvest about, what, one to two grams of biomass per liter. I don't have to say more. You see why we are a lot more efficient. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So. What kind of microalgae are you guys using? Is that something that you talk about or disclose? We use uh, a few different strains. I can only tell you that uh, one of the strain, well, actually two of the strains are Corella. And um, the other two, I'd rather not to comment too much on this podcast. I apologize, hope you understand. But then again, uh, all of them are used in the nutraceutical industry. That's what I can tell you meaning that it, it, they have been consumed by human beings for at least a good uh, 30, 40 years. So they're not like the, you've never heard of the kind of wild strains that, uh, you know, that will need to go through a lot of uh, regulatory checks. So that's uh, sort of our blessing uh, in, with uh, this uh, technology. That's cool. I like that. I had another question. It's going to take me a second to remember it because it, my, it just kind of went out. I was listening to what you were saying. I was just so fascinated that my brain was just, I was right along with you there. This is why I'm the modern health nerd. I love this stuff. So when you have your microalgae harvested, is there a processing process that it goes through to become an end product of some kind, like a, an ingredient? What happens after it leaves the bioreactor? 
ones are microalgae babies. I call them babies because they're really like pets. You know, they have their soul. They have their emotion too. Sometimes I play with them so much. You know, quite frankly, they're my puppies. You know, because you know what they they are really what they eat. And if you feed them well, well, they become happy. They produce a lot for you. You, you. If you don't feed them well, they produce so poorly. And so, you know,、um, coming back to your question, once we harvest out these babies,、uh, we then first、uh, put them into our what we call protein isolation process. So this process is actually a lot of physical process that、uh, we we treat、uh, with these、uh, biomass. First, we have to break the cell walls with the、uh, with the corella.、Uh, I don't know if you know,、uh, corella is actually just like the the all the plants. They have a cell wall, and so we have to first、uh, break break that off, and then so that all the nutrients inside the cell can be released, and that's how you can extract the protein out of it. So the first step is definitely breaking,、uh, disrupting the wall, and then once you disrupt the wall. Then the process goes on to say isolate the lipid out of the biomass, isolate the carbohydrate out of the biomass, and then the finished product you have is a higher purity of the protein flour that you get that you can send it to all the food manufacturers so that they can apply into their food formulation to create real impact. You know, so that's basically、uh, sums up our a very quick sums up of our our, our technology. So you wind up with a protein product that's good for alternative protein, plant-based protein products. And I know you've been experimenting just yourself to show what can be done with this. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to do these experiments, what you've done so far, and maybe what you're thinking about in the future, if that's something you can share? Sure, absolutely. So、uh, I, I like I like this question a lot. A lot of people ask me.、Uh, so. Is、uh, Sophie Bionutrient a、uh, microalgae company? I say no. We're not a microalgae company. We are a food tech company. We just happen to use microalgae to become our raw material, to become our key ingredient. And that sentence, that line itself, tells you the difference. Is that we see ourselves as food tech company, as food ingredient company. We don't see ourselves as microalgae company. That really is the key difference between us. And a lot of the other competitions out there in the world is that a lot of time nowadays, if you Google or went to Amazon and you try to find microalgae protein, first picture gonna show up in you, on your screen will be this very dark greenish, almost like black powder, or dark dark blue, or dark、uh, red kind of powder that they wanna sell you. And I sort of understand, you know, because the the darker the color. It, according to a lot of people, the better is the the amount of antioxidant in that powder. I get that, but however, coming from a food manufacturer, food manufacturing background, this color will ruin my food. Will ruin my finished formulation. Why? Who who wants your your、uh, say chicken nuggets to be green, dark green? Who wants your sausage to be dark green? Maybe there are some people who want their burger to be dark green or dark blue, but I bet most of the people want their burger to be just naturally brownish, right? And but if you want to allow the food manufacturers to do what they use, you really have to tone down the color, and that's exactly what we're doing. By growing the microalgae in the tank, we stop the photosynthesis process. 
and we force them to go into respiration, respiratory process so that they can digest organic substance to grow, which makes them grow faster. And by doing so, we tone down the color quite a bit. And we don't have to spend a lot of energy or money to remove that color. And it comes out to be light, pleasant, almost like the soy protein kind of flour. And then straight away, you can then use it in a lot of the food formulation you used before. That's exactly what I did, is that I tried to put it into the plant milk that I, that I envisioned. You know, it's similar to the, to the almond milk that I used to drink. Just that this time around, the, the key ingredient that we're featured is actually microalgae. And, and I also tried to use it in the burger patty that I made. Because why? I, I came from, like I told you, I came from this uh, family business background. So I know how to extrude the protein into the texture of meat. And I was able to make it into a burger. A nice burger patty that tastes and looks just like the any of the plant-based burger patty you can get on the market. And this is definitely something that not a lot of the other microalgae company can think of. So I think we as a team, we have this merit that we combine uh, and, and balance very well of uh, people from both sides. We got people from, from the marine biology side uh, who are really experts of microalgae. We've got people from the food tech side uh, like myself who are really uh, familiar with the, all the food manufacturing technology then we can really come up with a combination of these technology that we can really put this protein flour into the broader applications of the food manufacturing industry and say, hey guys, we got this revolutionary, very impactful, very sustainable protein flour. Go get it a shot. And what is the future of this protein flour? You know, uh, there, there is something I need to tell you, which is kind of to take a bit longer, hopefully if the time allows. Um, I've been studying studying uh, uh, soy price index for the last 20 years quite a bit. Um, I don't know if your audience also have uh, happened to study that, but if you did, you would notice that soy price slowly but surely comes up, creeping up quite, not quite a lot, but a little bit during the last 20 years, more so during the last 10 years. Why? It all thanks to the fact that we have more affluent, more middle-income families coming onto this planet. You got more middle-income families in China. You also got more middle-income families in South, South America. You also got more people got richer in India or even Africa. What happened to these people? They want to eat more meat. They want to eat more healthy stuff. If they want to eat more meat, all these animals are eating soy. If they want to eat more healthy stuff, meaning soy also. And so that's why the soy uh, demand has been crazily uh, increasing in the last 20 years. However, like I told you, we only have that much of space. We cannot grow more. And so that's why, you know, last year especially, thanks to the COVID situation, China, because they're going on with this trade war with Australia and U.S., they are forced to buy all their soy from Brazil. Brazil being one of the four largest soy suppliers in the world. They are forced, for the first time in their history, have to buy their soy needs from the US. Why? In China, it's not just people are eating soy. 
It's all the animals they, they, they're feeding are also eating soy. In Brazil, because people are becoming more affluent, their people also drink more soy drink just like the Western market. And so all of a sudden, the needs, the demands for the soy creeping up quite sharply, especially during the COVID time. And then that's why for the first time, we saw a crazy rock and roll uh, pricing chart for the soy last year. Now, the significance of this story is that going forward with the growing population, with the growing income, you will see soy price index going up like this. And also thanks to the go, uh, uh, global warming and uh, running out of the space issue. You know, I know your audience cannot see what I, my hand is showing up, but it will be a nice upward slope for the soy price index for sure. What happened to our microalgae protein flour? Well, it will be a nice downward slope. Why? Because the bigger the tank, the lower our unit cost. And on top of that, because nutritionally, our microalgae beat soy in every comparison. We have more complete essential amino acids. We have all the vitamin group, vitamin B group. We have a lot of these tiny nutrients like beta carotene, like all the minerals that you cannot find in soy. So I would say with lower pricing, better nutrition, we gonna be the soy protein flour going forward in the future. We gonna dominate the protein supply in the world in the future. And, and I have to clarify, by we, I don't mean just Soviet bionutrient, meaning all the players who are trying to provide microalgae protein to the world. And, and quite frankly, look at, look at microalgae and look at soy. You know, from soy, we can get protein, we can get uh, soy, uh, soybean oil, we can also get uh, soy starch. And those three things are exactly what you can make out of microalgae as well. And so guess what? My prediction is that the future of the, the human and even animal foods will really rely on this tiny microorganism called microalgae. And so that's what I predict the future will be for this uh, protein into the future. Thank you for breaking that down because I think about things like the fact that we're doing with more soy and also I have a soy sensitivity. So it doesn't matter what everyone else is eating. I can't eat it. So I'm kind of excited. The day that I, as somebody who likes to work out hardcore and once in a while I do supplement with a protein shake, to be able to go to the store and be like, oh, look, a microalgae protein. I don't have to worry about allergies. That would be fantastic. I was actually going to ask you to delve into a little bit more about the nutrition and the allergies friendly nature of using microalgae versus some of these other proteins that are on the market. Yeah, so that's the beauty with microalgae is that there's no known allergen yet with microalgae protein flour. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, there are estimated 1 million different species of microalgae on this planet. We are only studying about 20, 30 different species today. So there may be some uh, wild card hidden in the wild, in the nature that we don't know. But so far, there's no known allergy, number one. And number two, on a PD-CAS level, and this is a little bit professional or technical to a lot of audience in your, a lot of people in your audience, is that PD-CAS is, uh, is a number to compare your protein flour to the whey protein. Uh, so the industry, the protein industry use whey protein, the isolated uh, milk protein, as the uh, golden standard to compare how good your protein nutritionally, functionally is compared to the whey protein. Our PD-CAS number, B 
before protein isolation is about 0.89. And that's a lot higher than soy. I forgot what soy got. I think soy got uh, eight, 0 0.8 something or 7 something only, you know? And, and, and remember, this is actually before protein isolation process. After the protein isolation process, we haven't done the check yet, but I believe it will be very close to one, meaning that it will have all the nutrients you want from the old-fashioned animal protein. And on top of that, better yet, it's considered plant-based. It's considered way more sustainable. That's what I can tell you is that nutritionally, uh, allergen-wise, this is safer myself. This is going to be safe for a lot of people. And you said you have the range of B vitamins. So being algae, that includes B12? Exactly. The vitamin B12, even though it is not as strong as what the supplement you take, you know, it's a, a supplement dosage is still a lot stronger. But then again, you can definitely detect the, the vitamin B12 in a lot of different species of microalgae for sure. Yes. So there you go for the concerned vegan slash plant-based people in the audience. I don't know why, but after protein, that's like the thing that people nitpick on the most. Like, well, where are you getting your B12? Do you notice that omnivores tend to be low in B12 as well? But that's a completely different conversation. I'm just excited by what you're doing. I love the science behind it. I love the new wave that's coming here in a different kind of protein source. And it's funny because it's a different kind of protein source, and yet it's been here all along. It's been right under our noses. Can I share another story with you? Is that yeah? You know, go for it. Uh, there are two other stories I I want to share about microalgae uh, with your audience uh, that I found really interesting, really fascinating, uh, and really uh, inspirational. Uh, recent fossil records just confirmed that microalgae is the mother or father of all the plants on this planet. And we all know that we first got plants and then we got animals, right? Think about it. How interesting those fossil evidence tell you. And that is why microalgae, nutrition-wise, beat up everyone else on this planet. I think a lot of people in the audience have possibly heard this before as well, is that, well, actually seafood, especially the sea animals, they got their nutrients from these planktons, from these microalgae. It is very true. You are what you eat. And also, don't forget, a lot of these seafood, I always tell people, seafood is really not as healthy as you think today. Because why? There's so many human activities going on in the ocean today. These animals are in contact, constant contact, with all sorts of heavy metal, with all sorts of uh, microplastics. You don't know what you eat into your stomach other than those precious nutrients you're looking for. So the seafood today is definitely not like what it was just 30, 40 years ago. I'm not saying seafood itself is not healthy. I'm saying we people are to be blamed for what the world we're creating today. And that's why we're trying to convince people, stop eating these animals. Let's create a better tomorrow by using these alternatives. Not just because animal mercy. It's not just that. It's also for your health. You know? Now, there's a second thing I want to talk about microalgae, which is a very interesting story as well, which, in my opinion, is very inspirational for myself and possibly for some people in your audience, is that this is another more warming story coming out of Wuhan, China, right before, also right before the pandemic. Another group of uh, scientists are going all the way to uh, uh, Antarctica. 
And then they found a strain of Corella. They named it NJ7. Now, the interesting story is that this NJ7 developed an anti-freezing ability, meaning that they can survive in the extreme frozen condition. What's even more interesting is that they found their cousin from the equator called Utex 295. So the story goes that possibly millions of years ago, the two strain, well actually the two strains supposed to be one same group of family, one same species. And for some reason, half of the species split, went off all the way to Antarctica. Another half of the family stayed near the equator. The one stay in near the equator doesn't develop the anti-freezing capability. The one went all the way to Antarctica can survive in frozen condition. Now I call this very huge discovery, very dramatic and very revolutionary discovery. Why? You think about it. This is the first time we understand that microorganisms, especially the microorganisms that can be served as foods, can survive in these extreme conditions. The implication is that we can now, for the first time, grow foods, especially protein, not just with seawater, but also in the freezing condition, or even in super hot condition. I believe we can find something similar to that on the other end. And then you don't care about global warming. Then more importantly, another implication is that for the first time, and I want to address this to Elon Musk one more time, because I've been talking about this so many times in some of the, the uh, similar podcasts that, hey, Elon Musk, your SpaceX need technology like ours. And that will be the first time we can say out loud that we can grow foods on Mars out in the open without caring about the extreme condition on Mars. And then we can harvest the foods from that system then you don't have to see this Matt Damon crazy potato tent thing to go on for the Martian project. <laughs> All the astronauts can survive with the protein it produced, with the starch it produced, with the lipid to cook, and even using the lipid to, to power their machinery, using the lipid to make the plastic replacement they need to survive on that planet. So see how sustainable that is, is that if you can make it on Mars, can you not make yourself really sustainable on this planet Earth? I think we can. And I think we just found ourselves a lovely answer. I've been talking to a lot of people about mushrooms, too. It sounds between mushrooms and microalgae, you really can save the world. Like, forget superheroes. We got super microorganisms and super mycelium going on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we've covered a lot of ground here. I wanted to touch on a couple of wrap-up questions that I usually ask people as, the, as we get to the end of the podcast. In your opinion, where do we really need to be focusing, like, next step in the future of food? Because there's a lot, like, out in the future that we've talked about that could come about because of what you're doing and what other people are doing in this space. What's our next focus area to move us forward to that better future? I think it's the time for the public to take action. I think it's the time for the public to realize what they need to do on their part to move the mountain. One of the concerns a lot of the industry people have is that consumer perception on these new alternative protein will be resistance, will not be okay, will be uh, not so interested. You know, 
I think media may can uh, can possibly be helpful in in this regard, uh, just like the podcast you're doing right now. You know, if you if we can make more people understand, we need we really need to give uh, give uh, these uh, new protein or new food source, uh, really sustainable food technologies an opportunity. I think that that for the first part is something we I wanna I wanna tell people is that try to support, try to be part of it, try to. To give it a shot. Now, I, I want to say this because I keep hearing um, over and over. I think you heard it a lot as well. Is that oh, the the, the plant based food today are just too processed. It's not really healthy, you know. Or or they they gonna say uh, the all flavor is just so strong. I I don't like it. I think the flavor thing is actually uh, something that 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 is really something we industry participants will have to will have to chip in. We'll have to do more. But I think you know, as a as a consumer, as a, as the general public, I just want to encourage people try to take it as a as a new flavor in your in your diet, a new thing you want to try out, and give it a whole new different perspective. And as to the first question, like, oh, this is like too processed. You know, I think if you go to the supermarket, they said, oh, the, this piece of meat is really natural. This piece of uh, veggie is really natural. That piece of seafood is really natural. Well, is it really? Think again. The food today we have on our table is really so complicated. The veggie, maybe it's coming from the organic farms, but because of the packaging, because of the shipping, because it's in contact with the the polluting air, the tiny pollutants or the tiny heavy metals on its surfaces that's not on the ingredient list is something you're not able to see. And you're not able to tell. By the same token, is the animal meat? Is that we're using a crazy, a sixteen hundred different varieties of chemicals on the animals? Do you know that? And how many chemicals are in that piece of meat that you eat? And are you calling that piece of meat not processed? So I'm not trying to point the finger on anyone. I'm just trying to say, thanks to the name of efficiency. Thanks to the excuse of more production, more productive. Thanks to the fact that we're getting more and more crowded, we're doing a lot of crazy stuff with our food production. What we folks are doing here, especially the plant meat guys are doing, I think it's noble. Because why? They're just doing their part, trying to convince the world that there's a different way to look at the things. They're just trying to provide an alternative. And I don't really don't think their alternative is really not healthy, cause why? Compared to a lot of the stuff that I know, I think it's a lot safer to eat that than a lot of the conventional choices. And better yet, they have the transparency, and they're doing it for a very noble cost, sustainable, and health. And so with that, I really want to encourage all your audience to try to be supportive of this industry. So that's how I see the future. The consumer education, the public knowledge, really is what we're trying to to drive to to the public. Is that reason why we do this is really for the good cause for the greater world. Way back in my first episode, I had Tony Martins from Plantable Foods on the podcast, and he made a very similar point about everyone talking about clean label. And it's like, do you really know what's in your food? So I'm. I try to talk to people about what's in food when they're receptive to it. It's getting that consumer education to a place where people will be receptive for it. And here's my big wrap-up question. 
if you had unlimited power and unlimited resources and you could make one change in our modern food system, what would you do? Well, if I have superpower, uh, you know, <laughs> quite frankly, uh, if I have superpower um, that I can do to our food system, I want to, because I know people have this inertia. They don't want to change. So if I have superpower, I want to create a system or a thing, maybe a microorganism that will clean up the world, no matter how polluted we do to it. You know, I want to create some animals or some microbe that can eat up all these uh, tiny microbes, plastic microbes or uh, heavy metals or these uh, run of uh, herbicides or all these uh, nutrients that, that, that we put in the industrial agriculture, you know. I want to create something that can eat up all these uh, antibiotic and growth hormone. Why? Because, quite frankly, we're doing this for the human beings on this planet. There are our brothers and sisters. There are our mothers and fathers, you know. So we're doing this, quite frankly, First and foremost, it's not just for the planet, but more for the people on this planet. So if I have that superpower, I really want to be able to say or do something that they can keep dancing, partying all year round without concerning polluting the environment while the world is still very sustainable, no matter how crazy we do to it. But I know it's not going to happen. I know that's, that day will never come. And so that's why I say, if I have a superpower, I want people to keep doing the, the wasteful thing they do and still not do, do any damage to the planet Earth. But it's just never going to happen, you know. And with that, I guess I want to give people a warning sign or so-called a signal that there's almost no cure unless we do something. So to make a change, we have to go back to what you said earlier about consumers making those changes and taking those steps. And I, I like how you talked about embracing new flavors too, because one thing I see in the plant-based space is this drive to make everything exactly the same as the animal stuff. I can see on the one hand the argument, but on the other hand, it's like we have plenty of food on this planet that we don't try and we don't try a lot of new stuff. And most people eat like the same kind of handful of food. So why not broaden and embrace something you've never tried before. That's exactly the reason why we, the plant-based industry, uh, plant-based meat industry and seafood industry especially, why keep calling this piece of plant meat is because the inertia in people. If you give them a new name to this new product you made, and you say this is a new flavor, new thing, people are too lazy today. They don't want to think. They don't want to even think. And so they will not give it a shot. You're not making any impact. But if you tell them this is a plant-based burger, oh, straight away, they don't have to think. They know, just put it on the bun together with the tomato and lettuce. There you go. You see what we're doing at, uh, getting at? Is that we're getting along with people's inertia, people's laziness. That's why we are forced to use these animal names to name our product. But in reality... We definitely want to be called another new, new, totally new category. But when it's going to happen, it's definitely not going to happen today. Not happen in yesterday either. It will take time for people to realize all of them grouped together, 
put it together, it can be a new thing. And then when people, more people realize that, and enough people realize that, that will be the time when you can create something. Then you can straight away call it a LG nuggets, or a, a micro LG tenders, or a micro LG fingers, instead of say a, a chickenless chicken finger. You know. So so I think the naming thing is really trying to adapt ourselves to the market reality. Consumers today's. Thanks to the invention that we have around us, all the technology, we're really becoming so lazy. <laughs> and,、uh, you really have to accommodate with these lazy people for sure. You know. Yeah, but technology is good for some stuff, and that is where I'm going to ask you: Where can people find out more about what you're doing, connect with you, and connect with Sophie's Bionutrients? I'm a business person, so I only use LinkedIn. I don't really use any Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And so, if you want to look for us,、uh, go to our uh, uh, LinkedIn page. Uh, type in uh, create a LinkedIn account and uh, type in uh, Sophie's Bionutrients, or you can log on to our website. Send an email to me.、Uh, or actually, it's a an email to our customer service, but it actually go、uh, directly to me. We're a small team still, so you know I take over to overlook everything. So just go there. Go to our our website. It's triple、uh, W Sophie's Bionutrients. Spell as Sophie S and then bio b i o nutrients n u t r i e n t s dot com or one word dot com. That's it, and then you can find our website. And I'll drop it in the show notes too, so people can take a look at it. So thank you so much, Eugene. We delved into so much today. This was great. I love all the science, and it was just great having you share what you're up to and just the potential of microalgae. Thank you very much. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to tell everyone this wonderful potential down the road in the future. Thank you. Big thanks to Eugene for being on the podcast and for sharing all of that really interesting information about how they grow their microalgae, how they make their protein, and the possibilities for not only plant-based products but also food production and the food system in general. I must admit, I am a big nerd for two things in the plant-based space, which I mentioned in the episode: mushroom mycelium and microalgae. I see these as a place where the natural world can meet food tech to really start solving some of the issues that we have with the food system, and also some of the issues that are likely to crop up as the plant-based space continues to grow. Eugene brought up one of them, which is the land mass and resources required to grow some of the most common proteins used in plant-based products. And another really is the sustainability. We all know the UN climate report just dropped, and although it sounds like a lot of doom and gloom, there are things going on behind the scenes. Sometimes at the grassroots level, and sometimes in bioreactors, that can make a difference. So thanks again to Eugene. I'm really interested to see where this part of the plant-based industry goes. Frankly, thanks for joining me, fellow nerds. Join me again on September 8th for episode 44, and the week after that for episode 45, and that will cap off season one of the Modern Health Nerd podcast. Until then, enjoy your summer and stay nerdy.